Welcome to Passion and Purpose, a podcast with Jimmy Seibert and the Antioch Movement. Whether this is your first time with us or you've been with us for a while now, our desire is that by the end of our time together, you can say that you've fallen more in love with Jesus and have a greater passion for Him and His purposes in the earth. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope that you enjoy today's episode. Well, hey, everybody. Uh, excited to be with you guys on the Passion and Purpose podcast today. Today, we're talking about something that we all go through at one time or another, depression, disappointment, and discouragement. Mm, any particular Ds. In any particular order. <laughs> right. Uh, that is something that is normal to following Jesus. And Jimmy, you're going to share with us today a little bit about your own journey and yeah. experiencing those and some things God's taught you mm. to help you work through those that we all can benefit from. So, Take us into kind of uh, your your thoughts on that. Yeah, well, I just want to give everybody some good news to start with. Everybody goes through it. Everybody. That's profound. Yes, that is. I mean, from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to Moses to David to Peter to Paul. And in church history, they would often call it the dark night of the soul. There are places when life doesn't make sense or it seems like somebody turned the lights out in my thinking or my emotions or whatever. But those are the spaces where we find God and meet with God in such intimate ways that many times those deserts or those disappointments, discouragement, depression places become the greatest catalyst for our lives Mm. to understand the love of God and understand how to love people better. Wow. The one thing I can say from my bow with clinical depression is I have great empathy whenever anyone's depressed, like if they're truly not not just a bad day, but man, they are really, really struggling. And, and in the past, I wouldn't have understood that. Mm-hmm. So at the very least, uh, Paul said, I'm so glad that God comforted me because now I get to comfort you with the comfort that I received. Mm-hmm. So anyway, a lot, a lot there. But let me just uh, take in a little bit of my own story. Some of you are familiar with it. I've written about it in our Passion Purpose book, talked about it different times along the way. But um, in 2002, it was really Christmas 2002, 2003, we were headed to Cyprus for an international trip and uh, where our missionaries were gathering from around the world. And we're in, I'm in the middle seats, or I'm at the end of one row with five seats, that middle area in the plane. Got four of my kids and Laura, everybody's asleep. And all of a sudden, I feel like I can't breathe. Mm-hmm. And like somebody's sitting on my chest and I think I'm having a heart attack. And... Um, and I'm, I'm crying out to God, but I can't even speak. And so I'm saying, God, you got to send somebody. Uh, within 60 seconds, one of our pastors who was in the back of the plane came walking up. And he said, are you okay? And I was like, I can't breathe, Ben, pray, pray. And he's like, the Lord told me to go right now and that you, that, uh, you needed help wow. right now. So he started praying for me and it kind of brought the emotion down and let me try to get my breath back, get my breathing back. But we were five hours into a 10-hour flight. So it was a little challenging, to say the least, trying to settle it down. We had a medical doctor on the plane. We had a uh, certified counselor on the plane. So I just said, guys, what, you know, check me out. Am I having a heart attack? Do we need to down, get this plane down? Or, you know, is this just a panic attack? I never had one of those, so I don't know, you know. So we kind of covered all the bases. And they said, we're not sure exactly what it is, but the doctor said, I don't think you're having a heart attack. Let's just pray with you, calm you down every way that we can. Let's get, get a uh, look at this when we get on the, on the ground. So anyway, we got on the ground and again, they couldn't understand it. Sometimes a panic attack is something that happens 
uh, and can last for a few minutes, can last for an hour or two or whatever. But mine sat on me for 10 straight days and it began to affect me mentally. I couldn't sleep and I'm just grasping scriptures, went to the medical doctor. They said, you haven't had a heart attack. You're not having a stroke. We would say it's a panic attack, but it's different. It's not going away. It must just be a stress. So that's kind of what they throw the ball at ball to if they don't know what to say. But a very, very difficult time. And literally, I had to meditate on the faithfulness of God, scripture that I've meditated on for years. It seemed like second by second to kind of keep my wits about me. And um, so that it kind of, I just rested a little bit and got better. Every year then for the next seven years, it would happen for about two weeks. And it'd be like somebody turned the lights out, both physically and mentally. And, you know, again, you could say a lot of it had to do with the pressure of the job. We were planting churches. We were taking on challenges our city. We were raising kids, you know, all that stuff. So I began to learn a little bit about, okay, how do you manage rhythms when the lights go out in that particular uh, kind of physical way? And then in um, actually 2009, um, it hit and didn't stop. So it was 18 months of uh, very challenging day by day, um, physically, mentally, emotionally, um, and they couldn't find anything. Eventually, just for the end of the story on this one, eventually they would find that I had a heart defect, that um, literally the muscle, I only have one artery, not two arteries, so y'all know how to pray for me now. Uh, and, uh, um, and that when, when this artery would get, um, when extra stress would be in my life, it would pinch the artery. It would give all the symptoms of a heart attack, but it was muscle spasms ultimately that were doing it. It took them 18 months to find that out. Long journey of a lot of difficulty. Now I say all that, uh, I could say that on the depression side. Also, anytime you're moving the kingdom forward, there is discouragement. It's that gap between vision and reality. I can see it, or seems like God promised that, but here's my reality, and that gap is where discouragement comes in at the very least. Then we have disappointment. Well, that's, that's man, I'm, I want to believe God for healing, and somebody dies. I want to believe God for a breakthrough, and instead it seemed to have gone backwards. Or somebody else seems to get the financial miracle, I never get mine. So we become disappointed. Now, disappointment causes distance. Discouragement causes us to pull away from faith or believing God beyond our discouragement. And then depression is really the most difficult one because there seems like there's no way out. Somebody turned the lights off. I'm in a dark room and there's no way out. So again, all that to say, as I've gone through each of these challenges, the one that I think we want to talk about today is just um, the whole trigger thing. How do you constantly renew your mind, renew your heart so that when the challenges come, you've got some stuff in the tank? Yeah. Well, thank you for opening up your life to us and sharing those places. I know it's probably not easy to share. And mm-hmm. with one of those, there there was some medical things going on that needed to be addressed. And we're pro good doctors, sure, love yeah. Jesus, helping people. Right. And there's another layer to it, another aspect to it that are some, I guess, vulnerabilities or lies that you were believing mm-hmm. that uh, triggered yeah. a strong response of yeah. great discouragement or great disappointment or even uh, low points in depression. Mm-hmm. I'd love for you to take us into some of those things um, that you realized through that 
and then how the Lord showed you the the truth that you need to stand on. Yeah, that sure. So uh, in uh, in 2009, when I had that very dramatic um, uh, response to my, in retrospect, physical issue, but caused sleeplessness and a, and truly a clinical depression, I went to a guy who was the head of counseling at Baylor, has his doctorate and all this good stuff, and works with a lot of people. He went to our church, goes to our church, dear friend. And I um, sat down with him and I said, hey, Jim, I'm going to tell you everything I'm thinking. I think I'm nuts. Just I just want you to agree with me that I'm, I'm a nutcase here. And then you tell me what you would tell somebody what to do, right? Okay. So I lay out kind of things that are going on and symptoms and everything else. He says, yep, sounds like clinical depression. And in this case, um, I think because we knew each other so well, he said, do you feel like you're able to do it without medication? And I want to pause here to say it is totally legit. God in his sovereignty has created medication as a buffer for us. In some ways, what I would say is when it comes to depression, medicine stabilizes the low and the highs so that we can work on our internals. <laughs> so even if it's circumstantial, there are seasons and times. This is not only very appropriate, it's a gift from God. In my particular case, we talked it through, and he said, if you're finding the grace day by day, why don't we try to work with it? But I'm, I will totally help you on the medication side if you feel like you know, we get to that point. So all that aside, I said, well, what tools do you have for me besides medication? And he said, well, why don't we do the trigger exercise? I said, great. And he said it as if I understood what he was talking about. I said, why don't you, why don't you help me out there? What do you mean, trigger exercise? He said, what do you think is causing the emotional inner turmoil that, that could be putting stress on the challenges that you're having physically or mentally right now? And I said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, what are your triggers? What triggers you emotionally? And, and, I, and I said, well, how do you find that? He said, well, you know, you can just ask God. And if not, you can ask those around you. Your wife knows your triggers, I promise. And um, so I just went home, said, Lord, what are my triggers? So here's what I came up with. And I'll, I'll kind of go through these triggers as an example to try to help you go through yours as you're listening. So the number one thing that came to my mind is never enough. Okay, so tell me more about that. Yeah. So, so again, by nature, um, when sin came into the world, when Adam and Eve chose their own way, it says that your eyes will be open and you'll know the knowledge of good and evil. And we often think of sin just as evil, but the knowledge of good is that we all wake up hoping my good outweighs my bad. And consistently, we all fail. Therefore, we feel like we're never enough for anyone. So even some of the sharpest, brightest people in the world uh, ultimately feel like they are never enough in an underlying way. And that's kind of built into sin. Sin makes us never enough. There was a study uh, done by one psychologist. They did a study on five continents and just asked psychologists, um, what do you think about yourself? And they did this survey, and here's, here's his conclusion. He started then doing seminars and saying, I've interviewed thousands of psychologists around the world who went to the best schools in the world, who are doing finance or financially successful, top of your game, or you wouldn't be in all these seminars. And here's what I found out. Your number one thing that each of you feel is that you're not enough. And he said, if that's true about successful external people who are supposed to be psychologists and understand this, then how much more for the people that you serve, right? 
So here's my point. My never enough was um, I was always disappointing somebody. I'm in the people business, right? And I want to help people. I got it to love people and help people, but I can never help people enough. So I had to go back and decide who am I not, who am I not willing to disappoint? And I said, Jesus, number one, my wife and my kids, they are with me forever. Everybody else, I want to love and give my life away. But when I'm not enough, it has to be okay. So I got a scripture to go with that, to combat that never enough feeling and or reality. Um, because we can say, oh, you shouldn't feel that way. No, no, people, I'm not enough. I'll just agree with you. <laughs> um, it's, it's true sometimes. And, but that doesn't mean that I have to respond to it emotionally. So here's what I did, Psalm 16, 5 and 6. And the Lord is a portion of my inheritance in my cup. You support my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Indeed, my heritage is beautiful to me. God, you called me to be a pastor of this church, to lead this movement. God, I'm going to honor you today. I'm going to make you my portion of my cup. I'm going to do everything I can to love and honor those around me. And at the end of the day, I'm going to relook at this scripture and it's enough. And if it's not enough for everybody else, then they, they're going to have to deal with God because I can't do more than the grace I have. So it's a big one. Never enough. First trigger that you realized was this internal feeling that you could never be enough for yeah. everyone around you. And, and you would get into situations where that would become acute, that yeah. feeling would become acute, and yeah. that would be a trigger for yeah. you into discouragement. Yeah, it could be sleepless nights over, what could I do to help this person more? Or, you know, or if they had turned uh, aggressive and hurtful towards me or my family. You know, it would cause all kinds of different things versus, hey, look, this is what I can do. I'm here to love and serve, and it needs to be enough. At least if it's enough for God, it's enough for me, and then I got to leave it. So And so to combat that or to uproot that lie, you found a scripture yep. that spoke to it, and that became a place of meditation and coming yep. back of, talked about last week, anchor points. That was yep. an anchor point for yep. you on, right. I'm going to stand right here. Yep. And that helped you to overcome the depression yep. and discouragement. Yep. Tell me this, you as a, as a leader, you shared how you realize, well, we'll go into your other triggers, but how triggers also impacted the people that you yep. led. So what did you see as you realized that lie, began to plant truth in there? How did you see the impact on those around you? Well, the, the, those around me would have to speak for themselves. <laughs> but I would say that um, the more peaceful the shepherd is, the more peaceful the sheep are. Mm -hmm. The more at rest with God the shepherd is, the more rested God the sheep are. This is just nature. And again... You could be a business leader. The more restful you are in leading your division or your area, and restful, we are called to be an apostolic prophetic people. We're going for it. Right. We're pushing the edge. We're not being passive. That's not a passive comment. It's really at rest with God mm -hmm. and his grace on your life. And um, though it seems counterintuitive because people want what they want, and they want it now in the way that they want it. And you have to have a deeper sense of self, and I mean that in the holy sense of giving your life away to Jesus. And you have to have a deeper sense of confidence. And that only comes in the presence of the Lord and in God's word, not um, the expectations of those around you. So good. So as we deal with our triggers, it not only impacts us, yeah. but it helps us to love and serve Absolutely. and lead 
yeah. our families, our friends, the communities that we're a part of. It impacts the world around us. Yeah, the more holy internal work you do, the more help those that you love get. That's powerful. Yeah, the more holy internal work that we do, the more the more it helps those that are around us. Yeah, that we yeah. love and care for. Yeah. So good. Okay, so that's trigger number one. Yep. So what was the one? Trigger. Never yeah. enough. Never enough. And I'll, I'll run through these a little bit quicker. So the second one is, um, if I don't, it won't. Okay. Now remember, all, all these have truths attached to them. Mm -hmm. I am not enough, right? Mm -hmm. Right. And um, if I don't, it won't. So there is this, when I was a kid, um, there wasn't a lot of nurture and support in our home, but my mom specifically was a go-getter. So she said, if you want it, go get it. Uh, I don't have any money, but if you want money, go out and do it. I mean, I had so many jobs, did so many hustles and everything else because I wanted a lot. Right. Right. <laughs> and, um, and that, but I carry that into every area of life. If you want to be top academically, work harder than anybody else. You want to be athletics, et cetera. The challenge with that was that it worked most of the time because mm -hmm. most people weren't working that hard. Right. So, uh, so I, uh, so looming in the background is this, if I don't, it won't. So what that translates down to emotionally is if something's not happening, I'm not working hard enough. Okay. Now that'll send you to loop. Yeah. Right. Because yeah. especially if you're in the people business, cause you can't make people change. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, uh, so how do I, how do I, you know, win at this game of, uh, Man, if I'll just work harder, if I'll pray harder, if I'll do whatever. And many of those things need to be done more faithfully, diligently, and disciplined. But in the end, if God, it, I've switched the praise from if I don't, it won't. If God doesn't, I'm not doing it. Okay. Right? If God's not leading it, I'm not, I'm not doing it. But okay. if God's leading it, I'm in it. Okay. To the death to self, sacrifice, discipline, I'm doing anything God is leading. Right. I'm not trying to do stuff that God's not leading because okay. it's not going to work. Okay, great. So if I don't, it won't. Situations would happen that would trigger that feeling yeah. of, I've just got to do more. i got to add this yeah. on if something actually is going to come out. And that would send you kind of in a downward spiral. Internally. Internally. That was, uh, the, the, the challenge, again, I know there's different people watching and listening. The challenge for kind of type A doer people is it actually does work. It just does an internal crash that people can't see. Yeah. You're carrying the emotional weight of it, but you're able to be successful at the, in, in one level, uh, but it ultimately crashes on you. And then so you're able to, again, go back to- It's the rubber band that you pull and you pull and pull, and people say, I don't know how you do it, Ox. And then, yeah. whoom, you get hit by the rubber band and you tumble over and you say, I couldn't do it all. Yeah. <laughs> so, and then you found a, a scripture, again, that's yeah. truth into yeah. that. That put you more in a place of, I'm going to partner with the Lord and yeah. follow what God's leading me into rather yeah. than just. So again, back to the truth lie. So um, never enough, Psalm 16, 5 and 6. If I don't, it won't. Philippians 2, 13. It is God who is a work in me, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Oh, so back to my desire is to please God every day. His grace is sufficient for me and I'm working more than all of you, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. So there's a grace motivation for the work of my hands, and I'm trying to be attentive and listen and follow instead of lead out of my own desires. Okay, that's so, powerful. So there we go. So one, two, third trigger um, God spoke to me was the fear of man. Now, for those who know me or know us as a movement, I'm fairly bold with truth or to share the gospel or... Um, uh, 
and, and those kind of things. You would but, not think of you as someone that has a fear of man. Yes, problem. But, but God said fear of man. That's why when we go through the triggers, it's important that you're asking God what your triggers are, right. not what you you think they are. Yeah. Right? Because again, that's that whole deal of who's leading this journey. God has a way for everybody to be whole. You just got to let him lead it. Mm-hmm. And so he said, fear of man. Yes, sir. So explain that to me, Lord. And so um, what he was spoke to me is that you care too much about what everybody thinks, even though you'll still do the right thing. That creates tension. Okay. So even, even if, um, if I need to make a tough decision, but I know you're going to be super disappointed because I love God and I believe in the truth more than I believe in myself, I'll still make the tough decision, but I'm carrying your angst or disappointment everywhere I go. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's, if it's hard for me, it was, not, not as much anymore. So the scripture was Galatians 1.10. Paul said, if I was still trying to please men, I wouldn't be a bondservant of the Lord Jesus. Wow. I send out to be a bondservant of the Lord Jesus and to love people, not to please people. But my people-pleaser side was causing a deep emotional weight that I couldn't carry. So we have never enough, if I don't, it won't, fear of man. And the fourth one, if God spoke to me, he said impatience. Now, of course, that's a through the flesh, through the spirit thing. But impatience, I said, well, Lord, what does that mean? And as a visionary leader, it's I can see it, but I can't get to it. So the emotional space between what I see and what I can actually get to do or people to do or to get the thing done is that gap was too big and caused a lot of emotional strain. So here's a great scripture for that. Hebrews 6, 12, through faith and patience, they inherited the promises of God. Faith, I had faith, uh, but patience I was short on. Hmm. And so we weren't inheriting all the promises of God. It's really through faith and trust or rest or faith and intercession, you inherit the promises of God. So what, what it did was not only identify a trigger and give me a scripture to respond to, it also made me switch my anxiety of that gap between vision and reality and maybe an intercessor. Mm-hmm. If you're not an intercessor, you can't lead anything for the long haul. Not, not God-led stuff. Because you will either, um, out of your impatience, you'll hurt people or treat people as just um, you know widgets in your outcome, or... Um, you will get so discouraged, you won't uh, finish the job. And so interceding allows me to pray into it, pray for people, get God's wisdom and God's counsel, and give me a place emotionally to deal with that gap between vision and reality. But I don't give up on vision just because my reality is so discouraging, because in prayer, I can go anywhere. Mm-hmm. I can go to the top of the mountain. We can change the world. And I can find God's wisdom to deal with the discouragement of that gap. All right. So I get through these four um, triggers and I start every day. I get up in the morning and actually then throughout the day, all right, I'm feeling like I'm not enough in this situation. All right. Lord's my portion of my cup. Lives have fallen in pleasant places. If it's not okay, it's okay with God. I'm good with that. Okay. So I'm using these little tools for a week. After I get up, say, say seven days after using these tools in the morning and then throughout the day, I'm sitting there and God says, you left one off. And I said, well, Lord, I'm just, you know, desperate. Tell me which one I leave off. And he spoke to me the love of God. 
And immediately I started saying, no, I'm the Father Heart of God guy. Like I teach on the Father of God, the supremacy of Jesus, Holy Spirit. That's my intimacy been my message. Right. And God spoke to me so gently, gently, gentle reproof. And he said, your revelation of my love for you did not increase with the measure of your responsibility. As your responsibility increased, your revelation of love of God had to go deeper and wider, and you were, you're living off the old revelation. You got to come up here mm. with me and let me love you more than you planned. Wow. Mm -hmm. That's profound. Yeah. It's profound to think about. So I love hearing these five kind of triggers that the Holy Spirit and Council of Friends helped you see. You're giving us tools on how do I then replace those with truth. So when you look back, how what what's the fruit that's come from knowing your triggers and then being able to meditate on truth? How have you seen that make an impact for you in those places of discouragement or uh, disappointment or depression? Yeah, you know, I, what I would say is that um, we have to have um, uh, tools that we go back to to draw from consistently. Like we got to have, um, of course, my safe place is God himself. So every day I meditate on who Jesus is, who the Father is, who the Holy Spirit. That's my home base. But these trigger tools are the weapons of my warfare when something is out of sorts, internally, externally, mm -hmm. something's out of control, seems like this is chaotic, don't know which way to turn. I go back and do the inside work to then evaluate the outside problem. Okay. Many times we spend a lot of energy trying to bring order to the chaos around us. Um, I call it the whiteboard syndrome. As an American, we think if we'll all get in the room and get a whiteboard, and just talk long enough and really grit our teeth, we'll get to the God outcome. I would say if the Holy Spirit leads you to do it, if God's present, if everybody's not jacked up and everybody's whole, absolutely, we're going to get a better outcome. But to get a bunch of humans together to anxiously try to get rid of anxiety usually produces more anxiety. Even if you come up with a temporary solution, you have to have a hole because we didn't with deal with our inner world. So I try, and I, I have failed as well as succeeded, but at least I know where to go back to, and that is this, is that my inner world is, is the space of grace that is needed to bring the best of God's wisdom into my outer world. Okay. And whether that's as a husband or a father, or whether that's a coach on a volunteer team, or whether that's leading a church or leading a business or whatever you're doing, um, that that internal rest um, is is required to bring the wisdom of God, right? Because we house this treasure in earth and vessels so that, so that surpassing greatness may be of God and not of ourselves. So God knows how to lead things well. God knows how to, to uh, bring wisdom into every situation. The challenge is it's our disconnection from God or that gap that ultimately causes undue at times discouragement, disappointment, or depression. And when it happens apart from our own doing, hey, it just seems that it's happening. Paul said, don't think it's strange when fire ordeals come upon you. It, it happens to everyone. Mm -hmm. But do I have a base of grace and some tools like these trigger places to find rest while I'm wading through the storm? I love it. Well, thank you so much for taking us underneath the hood mm -hmm. of your personal life, but also share with some things I think everybody could 
take and apply. And I think that all these would help these these tools would help us to yeah. deal with the depression, discouragement, and uh, disappointment, yeah. and to walk more in who God's made us to be and His truth. So yeah. it's awesome. Yeah, let, let, me, let me do one wrap thought: yeah. is that again, we, these these words are all uh, very heavy and very loaded, especially the one depression. And what I always say that if you find yourself in a truly I can't think straight, I'm having thought hurtful thoughts towards myself or others, et cetera, you go immediately to a trusted God honoring somebody who believes in the word of God, a God loving counselor, and you say, All right, how do I address my physical situation, medical situation, emotional situation, relationally? It's more of a holistic approach in getting through this. I gave you the spiritual tool that I used, but I also took care of myself physically, uh, made sure that I was socializing, made sure that I had consistent schedule. There's a lot of things that go into this, so I don't want to minimize it to one, but without that as the centerpiece, as a born-again believer, I don't have hope beyond coping. And that's why our own relationship with God is central, even as we're needing to address holistically the issues of our life as we're dealing with true depression. And I just want to make sure that everybody knows that I want to encourage them for holistic health and getting help in every area of your life, even as you're dealing with your spiritual life. So good. I love it. I want you to pray for us before we go, that we take that and really be holistic, healthy people. Yeah. So Lord, I pray for all my friends listening today. I know that we have triggers going off right now, but Lord, I pray that there would be fresh hope, fresh grace, fresh strength, Um, In fresh wisdom, Lord, I'm praying for everybody listening right now. May the wisdom and counsel of heaven come on them through your word, through trusted friends who love you, through medical professionals if needed, whatever is needed, Lord, would you bring it into my friend's life right now? And most of all, may all of us find rest under the shelter of your wing. You are our sufficiency and you are our wisdom. And I ask that you lead all of us Uh, to those places of rest, even in the midst of the wilderness. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.